song. Turn to hymn number 548. 548. As the deer, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Psalm 42.1. That's the way we should be, isn't it? Panting after the Lord. sing all three verses as the deer panteth for the water so my soul longeth after thee you alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee you strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship thee you're my friend and you are my brother even
seated. Mr. Rick Jones. Can you hear me now? That good? I don't hear nobody. Hello? Okay. <laughs> Make pastor up here. Come on, give me that. Okay. Well, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And first of all, we'll take some prayer requests. If I can mind my paper. There we go. Any prayer request? Ted Daddy. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. You lost your hearing aid. Okay. Alright, Shirley's hearing aid. Anybody find it, you know who it belongs to. <laughs> you got your pebble. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, Dale, you got any prayer requests? Oh, yeah, unspoken. <laughs> unspoken? Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody at all? Alright. Okay, well. Just remember our country. This is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, remember our country and the things that are going on around us. And we can be assured that one day the Lord's coming back and we won't have to worry about all of it again. Okay? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We ask you, Lord, just to be with us as we come to study your word, to look at your uh, scripture and just to try to understand what you have for us. Our Father, we ask you to uh, just help us as we come to understand and learn it, as we go through it. Father, we just ask for your blessing. Father, we pray for Teddy Daddy. We continue to lift him up, that um, you would just uh, bless him and do what needs to be done there and just help him in all that he needs. Uh, Lord, we pray and we know that you'll come through, Father, that uh, Shirley will find her hearing aid. Uh, someone will find it and we'll, we'll get it back. Uh, Lord, we all have some unspoken requests that we lift up to you today. Uh, you know what they are. You know what needs to be done with them. Uh, you know the situations that we are having, uh, not only in our personal lives, but in our, our community, in our state, in our country. And across this earth, Father, you are in control and you know everything that's going on. So we know that you 
have in your mind and in your plan what to do for each and every one of us. We ask your blessing tonight. We just ask you to help us to understand and to learn. Help us to grow closer to you as we study. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Are these monsters on, April? Are these on? Okay. You can turn me down just a little bit. I'm getting my I'm getting my own voice in my head and I, Sometimes that's okay, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> Brenda says I'm always in my head, so. <laughs> All right, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, just a refresher of last week, we looked at the uh, first 10 verses of chapter 2, where Paul said that he went back up for the second visit to um, Jerusalem, and he visited with Paul and James and John, and he had a private meeting with them, and that some of those who were there were spies who came to search out their liberties that we have in Christ, that they may bring us back into bondage. And Paul dealt with a situation that they had, and that was the situation of circumcision, that they were saying that uh, Gentiles who were not... Uh, had no rules of circumcision. Now that they have uh, were saved, they had to be circumcised and start uh, living a Jewish-type life of the rituals. And Paul dealt with that. And James and Peter and John all agreed with them and basically told those spies that they weren't worth anything, so they weren't going to deal with them. And so they gave them the fellowship, hand, right hand of fellowship and sent Barnabas and Paul back to uh, Antioch to continue preaching and, and ministering in the church. So starting in verse 11 through 21, we're going to see uh, Paul confront Peter again, this time over Paul, a serious matter. Uh, but we'll start in verse 11, and it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, inasmuch that Barnabas also was carried away with his dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall, now, shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, and therefore Christ the minister, there is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. 
For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. It seems that uh, after a while, after Paul and Barnabas had gone back to Antioch, Peter came up for a visit. They went to Antioch for a visit. He'd been there for some time, according to what the uh, uh, commentators uh, assume from this, because it says that for a while he had been associating with the Gentiles there in Antioch, and Antioch was a majority of Gentiles, more Gentiles than Jews, and that he'd been associating with them. But when he came down at one point, some of these, it says, verse 12, before that certain, where he's talking about certain men, uh, there's a controversy about this part of the passage. Uh, It says that these men came from James. Uh, As we're going to see, these men were not only, they were Jews, but they were these so-called Judaizers. They may have been even the same men who were messing with the, Gent- or the uh, Galatians that Paul was writing to. Uh, but they came, uh, after, Paul had, after Peter had been there a while, they came in, and when they did, Peter, had, had, who had been, he had been associating with the Gentiles, decided he was going to withdraw from them. Uh, Peter was committing one of the probably the high sins of hypocrisy, okay? So we have Peter comes in the Antioch, and he's, he's socializing with the Gentiles. He's having dinner with them. He's probably staying at the Gentiles' home. He's, he's preaching to them. He's talking with them. He's, he's having to socialize with all these Gentiles. And then sometime after that, while he's still there, these certain men, it says they came from James, uh, came in and Peter decided to withdraw from the Gentiles. Uh, the controversy in this scripture is that they're not sure who these certain ones were. Uh, most commentators assume that they were the Judaizers that came in and they were the same ones that were in Galatia causing their problems. And so we have a problem with this when we come to where it says they came from James. Well, James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So we have to decide whether James sent a bunch of Judaizers to Antioch to spy out what was going on, or were they lying about being from James? Uh, Most commentators and most theologians will assume that these men were Judaizers. They lied. They were not from James. Because James wouldn't have done that. Because even James was uh, uh, living a, a Christian life. So we're, we're assuming that these men, these certain that came from James, uh, that came into Antioch were the Judaizers. And it says that when they came in, Paul or Peter seen them coming and he realized they were there. He decided, okay, I can't associate with Gentiles no more. Well, 
that was a problem for Paul because Paul already had dealt with Peter on the circumcision deal, right? Months before, probably. And now, here's, Paul, here's Peter coming in, and he's having a good time. He's socializing with all these Gentiles. He's eating and talking with them, preaching to them. And then all of a sudden, some of these men from Jerusalem show up, and he says, oh, I can't do that no more. Why? Why can't you continue to socialize with these Gentiles? It goes on to say, it says that he separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. They were Jews. He, was, he, was, he wasn't afraid. It says they, he feared them. He wasn't afraid that they were going to arrest him or kill him or do anything like that because they had no power to do that. Peter's fear here was his reputation. He was afraid that if these men saw him associating with these Gentiles in Antioch, uh, they were going to go back to Jerusalem and start spreading rumors and claims just like they did Paul. That he was oh, associating with these Gentiles, he was, he was living with them, he was eating with them. You know, Jesus himself even sat with Gentiles in Jerusalem when he, you know, he preached to them. And, and they con convicted him of, of heresy because of that. And Paul goes on to say that he feared them that were absurd. He feared these Jews. How come? Why, why would Peter fear uh, these Jews when they couldn't do anything to him? He was worried about his reputation. He was, he was, Peter was this big pillar of the church. He was one of these that, that everybody looked up to. Jesus, back in, in uh, the book of John, says that Peter was going to be that rock. That was his name. Rock. He was the rock. He was going to be the rock of that church to start it and get it going. And he was going to be the strength of it. And here he is in, in, with these Gentiles, and he's fearing for his reputation. He's fearing for his position as an apostle. And he was one of, the, he was one of uh, I guess you would say, the primary apostle of all of them. And here he decided to to be a hypocrite. He said, and the other Jews dissembled uh, likewise with him. So all these other Jews, and he says even Barnabas, even Paul's co-pastor, when Peter saw these Judaizers come in, these Jews from Jerusalem come in, and he decided, you know, I'm not, I can't associate. I've, I've got to back off of this. You know, then all of a sudden, these guys that over here, these other uh, apostles or these other disciples, I won't call them apostles, but these other Jews that were with him that were associating with the Gentiles as well, decided, oh, well, we got to follow Peter. We got to follow Peter. When you get into this verse and you read this and you understand it, there's one thing we have to understand as members of a church. The man that stands behind this pulpit isn't perfect. He makes errors. He makes mistakes. And Peter was like that. Peter was that rock of the church. And here he is being a hypocrite. Now we can watch TV and we can see some of those preachers on TV and we can say, that's a hypocrite. We can say, that's a hypocrite. But when you have a man in your own church, a man who's supposed to be this, this uplifter, he's supposed to be this, 
the shepherd of all these people, here he is being a hypocrite. And Paul doesn't like that. He sees what's going on. And he, he has already dealt with Peter on the circumcision thing, which is part of, you know, that, uh, as we talked about, justification by faith, our freedoms that we have in Christ. Circumcision is not a necessity for salvation, okay? Well, now Peter is going in here, and he's, he's being associated with these Gentiles. These men from Jerusalem come in, and he says, oh, I can't do this. And next thing you know, not only Peter, but several other of the Jews that are there, along as well with Barnabas, the co-pastor of the church, okay, has decided to, okay, we can't do this. We can't let these Jews from Jerusalem see us associating with Gentiles. Now, wait a minute. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what they were taught when Jesus was teaching them all through those three years that they were with him. It's not what Paul was taught when Jesus came to him on the Emmaus Road, or Damascus Road, that they were being hypocrites. They were, they were worried about their reputation back in Jerusalem. So he says they had dissembled likewise with him inasmuch that even Barnabas also was carried away with this dissimulation. Anybody know what dissimulation is? I know somebody in here read dictionary. <laughs> okay. Hypocrisy or false pretenses. So here's Peter now coming in. It's supposed to be this, this high power, this, this great man of God. And he's coming in, and he's associating, and he's loving these people, and he's associating and having dinner with them. And then all of a sudden, some Jews come along, and he starts to back off. And so now we're looking at him as a hypocrite, or he came for false pretenses. It's what Paul is telling. He says he was carried away with these simulations, these hypocritic ideas of these false pretenses. Verse 14, he goes on to say, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly, uprightly means it has the indication of a, a straight path. But they're not walking that straight path that they're supposed to be walking. They're not walking in the way Christ would have walked. He said they're not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Now the gospel contains that, that we follow Christ and we act like Christ, we we love like Christ, and we, we do things for Christ. He said, they were not walking according to the gospel. This is Peter. The idea that a man of this statute, this is one of the reasons why you always have to remember never to put a man higher than he really should be. Okay? I've seen preachers, congregations that have put a man, a preacher, a pastor into a position of basically setting him on a pedestal and saying, hey, there we go, basically putting him first. We took a, a bus ride, a trip, vacation several years ago. Haiti was real little, about three or four, something like that. And it was a tour, and we went out to Arizona. Or was it New Mexico? One of those. I think it was New Mexico. 
Anyway, we went to the old part of town of Albuquerque. That's where it was. Old part of town of Albuquerque. And they have a Catholic, Roman Catholic church there. And when you go in, it, it's not very big. It's probably half the size of this is. But it's decorated just immaculately. I mean, it's statues everywhere. And you walk in, and you go up to the front where the pulpit is, and there's a great big statue right in the center. It would be about right where that cross is, right there. Great big old thing of Mary holding the baby Jesus. Okay? There's a statue to the right of that, and it's probably about that tall, maybe that big, and it was Christ on the cross. This is what they were glorifying with Mary up on the up on standing there holding Jesus. But Christ on the cross was down here. Okay? They was lifting Mary up in that church, what they were doing. Now that church had been there for hundreds of years, so it was the same way it was then. <coughs> but the thing is, we do this. We lift up these men. How many I'm not gonna take a poll, I'm just gonna say how many of you believe like Trump? Okay? I do. Trump is great. I, he was a great president. He's a nice guy and all that. But there's one thing that a lot of people were doing. And they were lifting him, lifting him up above everybody. He was almost a god to some people. Okay? And it says here, he says, even Peter was wrong. Paul had to confront him face to face. He literally got in his face and said, Peter, you are wrong. Now, Peter's the head of the church, pretty much. He's, he's the pillar. Paul, Paul came later on. So Paul was kind of a, a secondary apostle. But he says, because they were not walking uprightly, they were according to the gospel, he said, I said unto Peter before them all. This right here is a scripture for church discipline. We don't see a whole lot of that, do we? But he said, I spoke to him, I went to him face to face before everybody. Can you imagine how Peter would have felt? Did his pride take over and say, you can't stand there and talk to me like that? Or did he humble himself and say, you know what, you're right. We don't know, it doesn't say that. But it does say that Paul confronted him about it. And he deals with the situation in this way. He tells him, if thou, being a Jew, livest like a manner of the Gentiles, and not like a Jew, then why are you compelling the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Why are you, Peter, associating with these people, telling them to live this way, but you're living a different way? You're living like the Gentiles, with not worrying about what the Mosaic laws are, not worrying about the rituals and the ceremonies that have to be done and the, uh, the, the uh, sacrifices and stuff, but then you turn around and associate with these people and tell them now they have to live like a Jew, following all the rules. Paul says you can't do that. That would be like me or a pastor or whoever stands behind this pulpit gets up here and says, Here's what God says to do. This is the way you are to live. 
but I'm going to live this way because this is the way I believe it should be done. But you have to live by the rules. Kind of sounds like a bunch of Democrats, doesn't it? Okay? And I hope they're listening. <coughs> but that's what he was doing. He was, by associating with them, and then all of a sudden when these men came from Jerusalem, he backed off. He was basically telling them, you have to live like the Jews while I'm living like a Gentile, not paying attention to the rules. Okay? He was being a hypocrite. <coughs> and Paul confronts him about it. Then he goes on to say, he says, we who are Jews by nature. And what he means by that is the Jews, when they were born, they were circumcised on the eighth day. They were brought up learning the old, the Torah, the old scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They were taught the rules. They, they were going through all the ceremonies and rituals that the Jews do. Because that was their lifestyle. That was the way the Jews worked. And so he said, we, talking about himself, Paul and Peter, he said, and we are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He says, when, uh, let me get my note here. Paul confronts him in front of, the pri in front of all these people. He rebukes Peter in the presence of everyone there. If you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like the Jews, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live like, G like Jews? Peter says we are natural Jews. We, we were born into the Jewish family. So we were circumcised day to day. We had to go through all the rituals and things. He said, but we know that no man is justified in faith. He said, why now that we now know Christ, we have believed in him, are we going to go back to that legalistic system? He says, why are you going to do that? He says, that's not the way God meant for it to be. That's not the way Jesus taught. He said, we came out of that legalistic Jewish system. We're not Gentiles, but we're living like Gentiles, but we no longer have to follow those rules. Jesus gave us that freedom. We know the works of the law, he says. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. From here on, that's going to be Paul's main topic. Justification by faith alone, through Christ alone. Okay? This is going to be from, from here out until the end of chapter 6, He's going to deal with justification. He's going to deal with all the aspects of it. But he's talking to Peter. He's confronting Peter right in front of everybody so that everybody he is there hears what he has to say. Now, he's not doing this because he wants to hear his own voice. He's not doing it to make a, a show. He's not doing it to, to boost his reputation. He's doing this because he knows that Peter is wrong. He knows he's erred. He knows that he's done something that he should not have done. And Peter should have known better. He says, But by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay? 
we go back and look at Acts 13.38, I tell you what, let's go to Romans. Romans 1.17. Romans 1.17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Turn over to chapter Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, but there is no difference. Jew or Gentile, it made no difference. Verse 28 in the same chapter. Therefore we conclude it's a, it's a finished final act that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now all of this is being taught, had been taught to Peter and to all the other apostles. Uh, Chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns him in the flesh. That's justification. It is through faith of Jesus Christ, that we are righteous. We are justified before God. He's telling Peter this in front of all of them. He says, we're Jews. We didn't grow up this way. We grew up with all the rituals and the ceremonies and the circumcision and all this and all that. He said, even he himself was a Pharisee following the rules to the T. And he said to Peter, he said, we know now now we know, because we were taught that no man is justified by works. There is no man on this earth that ever walked this earth that was able to save himself by anything he could done. Our salvation wasn't our work. Our salvation was God's work, only through him. And he's telling us, he is... Peter is not being aggressive, or Paul is not being aggressive with Peter, but he's letting him know, you're wrong. You are in the wrong spot, the wrong time, saying the wrong thing. He said, it's not by works, but just by, it's justified by faith. 17 said, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? When Peter decided to become a hypocrite and say, I'm no longer going to eat with these because I don't want my reputation to go bad. I don't want these people making false claims like they did Paul. He basically said, I no longer believe in that. I no longer believe that I have to be justified only by faith, but now I have to do these works. So I have to go back to this legalist system that the Jews had so I can continue that way. He said, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves become, we find ourselves become sinners. See, the Jews always believed as long as they were following the rules and 
doing the ceremonies and the rituals and the circumcisions and, and all the things that the, the, the high ups in that church, the Jewish or Judaism, taught them to do, then they were justified. They were going to heaven. They were going to be one of those who, who walked through the pearly gates. But when Jesus came along, what did he tell them? Not unless you believe in me. And this is what he's saying. He said, if, if we no longer believe that we are no longer, uh, if we no longer believe that we are through Christ, justified by Christ, he said, then are we making Christ the minister of sin? Are we telling uh, Christ that he is not worthy, that he is not the purpose of our salvation? He's asking a rhetorical question because he knows they're not going to answer it. He said, but we ourselves are also found as sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Does God, does Christ create sin? Is he the one who causes us to sin? And that's what Paul is asking. He says, God forbid. He says, never. May it never be. Peter himself was given evidence from Jesus himself that the Gentiles are equal in all things to the Jewish believers. If you go back into, uh, where's my verse at? I think it's in Acts. And he tells him, he shows him that vision uh, of the sheep coming down with all the animals. Everything that he's seen, God says, is clean. And you're not to call no man common. In other words, no man is different. No man. He says they're all the same. Everybody is the same. Peter sat down to eat with the Gentiles. He ate whatever was in front of him. He didn't be picky about it. So he says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgression. If anyone, including myself, Paul says, tries to rebuild that legalistic system after we've already destroyed it by believing in Christ and preaching the gospel of God's grace, he says, we are doing nothing more than saying that Christ did nothing for us. We, it makes us a transgressor, a hypocrite, a sinner by abandoning the grace for law. It would be like us right now, standing here, born-again Christians, if we, we, by grace, through faith, believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and live a life of in Christ, not perfect. We're never going to live a perfect life. None of us are. But if we live that life, and then one day we decide, you know what? I've got to follow this rule that Jews had. Or I've got to follow this rule that, that so-and-so says. I've got to do this. There, I, I remember an uh, article about a church, I think it was over in Richmond somewhere, that were sending letters out to their congregation that if they were, didn't get caught up on their promises of tithes, supposedly they you know, promised so much, right? If they didn't get it caught up because they were falling behind on their tithes, that they would kick them out of the church. 
does that mean that my salvation is no good? No. But that was what they were trying to do. They were making a legalistic system, and Paul says that if what we destroyed by believing in Christ, that legalistic system is no longer ours. We no longer have to abide by it. He says, that I destroyed by getting rid of it. I no longer live by it. That's what he means by destroying it. And I no longer live by it. I, I got out of that system. He said, if I go and start building that back up, then I've just turned my back on Christ. Why would I do that? Why would I go back living the same life I had, following the same rules I had, when I found a better way? Right? He says, if any man any man tries to rebuild that legalistic system after they've already destroyed it by believing and preaching the gospel, he says, I'm a transgressor. I'm a sinner. I'm turning my back on God. He says, for I, though I through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Because of that law, and I stepping out of that law by believing in Christ, Okay, I no longer have to abide by that. And he said, to me, that law is dead. Through that law, I came to this spot. That law means nothing to me no more. It's dead. The idea of legalism clashes with God's truth. Paul is saying, no, no, now that I have accepted Christ and died to the law, I could never go back to that system of rituals and ordinances. If, if we become Christians, if we believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, and we, we walk this path of Christ, and then all of a sudden we decide, you know what, I don't want this life no more. I'm going to go over to this side. I'm going to become a Roman Catholic. Okay? We're going back into a legalistic system that we came out of, right? And Paul said we can't do that. He said when we do that, all we're doing is turning our back on God. He said that's not the way it goes. And he gets to verse 20. This, this is kind of a confusing thing, but it's, if we get the idea of it, it makes a lot of sense. Paul says in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He says, I am crucified with Christ. When we, through faith, by grace through faith, accept Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and become Christians and start living that life spiritually in a a, a I don't want to say mystic way, but a spiritual way, we ourselves died on that cross with Christ. We were crucified. When we have baptism, what do we say when we dunk somebody under? We say amen. That's right. We do say that. Yeah. But we say death and risen, right? We, we go down into the water as in we died on that cross, we're buried with Christ, and then we're raised to a new life. That, that's what the whole baptism uh, goes with. When a person exercises faith in Jesus Christ, 
he is placed in a transcendent spiritual union with Christ as he died on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, he took all of our sins with him. All ours. Not just some of us, all our sins. Every one of us. And so in a way, in a spiritual way, we were union with him on that cross. We didn't physically die on the cross, because we weren't born yet. We weren't even here yet. But in a spiritual way, because he took our sins to that cross, we died with him on that cross. And Paul says, I am crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. I'm still here. I died on that cross with Christ spiritually, but I still walk this earth. We still walk this earth. We're not dead yet. He says, I still live yet, but not I, but Christ lives in me. So here, I'm Rick Jones. I'm physically on this earth, but when Christ died for my sins and I accepted that, then I died with him on that cross. That old man died with him on that cross. And I now live a new life. Even though I'm still this flesh that's on this earth, I walk with Christ. And what's it say? Christ lives in me. He has come in me through the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. So Paul says, even though I'm still alive, Christ is living in me, and the life which I live now in the flesh I live by the what? Faith of Jesus Christ, of the Son of God. I don't live this life in the faith of me. I don't live it in the faith of Pastor Joe. I don't live it in the faith of my parents. I don't live it in the faith of this building, this meeting house. I live it by the faith in Christ. So that new life I now have comes from Christ. It's from him, not me. I can't do anything with it. If it was me, I'd still be the old me. Because nothing would have changed. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I physically live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me on that cross. Paul is giving the gospel in this one passage. Christ gave himself for the penalty of sin to to ward off the wrath of God against us because of our sins. In verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know what frustration means? Nullify. I don't nullify the grace of God. There's no way I can stop. There's no way I can block. There's no way I can stop or or nullify what God does. It's all through him. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I I don't nullify the grace of God. For if this righteousness that we have comes by the law, here's the big question. Why did Christ have to die? How many times have you ever heard that? I've heard it several times from people who say, well, you know, the way you believe it, why did God even die for? He died for me. He died for you. He died for everybody. 
But he says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. God does. But if righteousness comes by the law, if we are righteous by doing the works that it says to do in Scripture, those, those Old Testament laws, the Jewish laws, why did we need God? Why did Jesus have to come? It's what Peter's tell, or Paul's telling him. He says, Peter, he said, think about it. He says, I don't live my own life anymore. I live through Christ. God lives in me. Okay? And I live that way because I love him. And only because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Christ crucified. He went, there's a book out, I can't think who it's by. The title is deceptive. The book is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. The book's good. But the title is The Murder of Christ. And he goes to explain that Jesus was not murdered. We think he is. We, we want to believe that he was, but he wasn't. He laid down his life. He gave up his life, his physical life on this earth for the sins of us, for every one of us. Okay? So Jesus didn't murder. He wasn't murdered. And, you know, we, we, can, we can blame the Pharisees. We can blame the Jewish leaders. We can blame the Gentiles. We can blame everybody that was there when Christ died on the cross for him going to the cross. But he did it himself. It was God's plan all along, all the way from Genesis 1 through Revelations, that Christ dying on the cross was his plan. There's no way friends or buts about it. That's the way he had it planned out. But Paul brings this, uh, this final statement to Peter in front of all these people. He says, if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. There was no purpose for it. So he's basically telling him that it didn't happen that way. It did not happen this way. Martin Luther makes this statement. I thought it was very good. He, he, he did a commentary on Galatians, and it's okay, and, and it's all real good, but his language I can't speak because he, he's like Shakespeare. I wish I like Shakespeare, but he's like Shakespeare. He's, you know, the old way of speaking. But he says this at the end of his, his Galatians. He said, if rejecting the grace of God and the death of Christ, it is such a horrible wickedness and should never enter the heart of man. Yet, this atrocity is all too common. Let us be warned, everyone who seeks righteousness without Christ, either by works, merits, satisfactions, actions, or by the law, rejects the grace of God and despises the death of God, Christ. So Paul is, is, is getting, he's going to get deep into this justification by faith now and the way we are to live because of that. And he says that he doesn't live his life anymore. It's not him, it's Christ. You know, we... we get up, and we have a lot of things to do every day when we get up, don't we? We got to get up, we got to take a shower, we got to get dressed, we got to eat, we got to get our coffee going, three or four cups of it, <laughs> and then we got to go to work, or we got yard work to do, or 
something we got to be let get done. Okay. Would that have been the same life if you weren't a Christian? Would you be living that same life? Probably. Probably not as as easy. It, it seems like a hard life to live, but we now live in a situation or in a way where everything we do, we can picture Christ's hand in it. If I go out and work those timbers in my driveway, try to move those big 250-pound timbers to get that driveway made out, the only thing I can think is, thank you, Lord, for the strength to get these things moved. Thank you, Lord, for Brenda paying for them. For me, have, thank you, Lord, for Brenda getting the ideas for them. And you know, anyway, <laughs> but we live a life in Christ. We don't live the life we used to live. If I lived the life I used to live, I probably wouldn't be here now. Because you know, anyway. Any questions? Any comments? Not. If there's no comments, okay, no question anything. I just you know, when we get into chapter three next week, we're gonna Paul's gonna get deeper into this justification by faith. And justification is that uh, stance in which we stand before God as righteous. We may not be righteous, we may not be perfect, and we're not. We may be sinners, which we are. But when we stand before God <clears throat> on that day, he's not going to see us standing there. He's going to see the glory of Christ, the grace of Christ, and the crucifixion of Christ in front of us. Someone once said that God has rose-colored rose or blood-colored glasses because that's all he sees is the blood of Christ in front of us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that uh, I glorified you, I honored you in your word, in the teaching of your word. Father, tonight as we go home, we pray and ask that you be with us and watch over us, keep us safe, help us in all that we must do. Help us to continue to walk uprightly, uh, walk that path uh, led by Christ, Help us to live our lives in Christ and through him and not through ourselves. We thank you for your salvation and for the justification that we have in him. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. And by grace through faith that we can accept it and know it and live it. We ask you, Father, to continue to watch over us. Keep us safe and help us tonight. Watch over us this week. Help bring us back next week, Wednesday. Lord, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.